0: Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today, doctors John English and Andrew Braham are joined by J.R. Jones, former CEO and President of Ream Manufacturing. His top five values are vision, plan, people, accountability, and culture.
1: This is John English, Dean of Engineering at the University of Arkansas, and uh, joining me in this interview will be uh, Dr. Andrew Bram from Civil Engineering, Associate Professor. And uh, we have the good fortune today to be uh, joined with J.R. Jones, one of our very own mechanical engineering graduates from Arkansas, kind of the northwest corner. And I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Jr. Jr. is the executive chairman of the Green Corporation, an international company spanning many different companies. And I think Jr. primarily in the area of uh, air conditioning and and water heating. That's correct. That's so that's, that's been your, that's been your area. Well, we're glad to have it in Arkansas. We don't we like our air conditioning. That's for sure. And hot water, <laughs> and, water and water heating and water heating is good. <laughs> Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you here, Jr. and uh, as you know, this podcast is uh, our effort to kind of put our hands around leaders like yourself who've had an impact in the world in view of leading organizations, and, and we want to just have an informal conversation about things that you've learned, and going into this interview, we've asked you to share some core values, things that are kind of like your, your pivot points, your, your true north that you look towards, in your leadership. And so as we peel back the layers in that, the first one that we note that, that I'd like to kind of dig back in and find out some, maybe some experiences that convinced you that having a vision, thinking strategically is of core to you and everything in your view of your leadership. And, you know, how you got to this point to know that that's something you have to carry out in
2: your mission. I think that's a great question. How do you have a vision and leadership? Because you think of a long career or working in a company you know, there's so many different jobs and there's so many different positions that you have mm-hmm. along the path and so when you do all of those jobs and I'm actually I've always said this one of the things that I am so fortunate in is I never missed a rung on the ladder mm-hmm. and so I started you know out of college University of Arkansas first job I was a design engineer and you know when you go into engineering school you get taught everything fundamentally, but what you don't get taught is then then how do you actually design something? Great. And so when you go to work for a company, you know, in the beginning, you really don't know. You don't know, does that company have a vision, a strategy? You have a job designing designing a product. And I did that actually for, I think, you know, a long time in my career, really about almost 15 years. And then from, from that, I then progressed from a design engineer to manager and then, you know, subsection group leader. And then for me, what really I had a great opportunity is I had the chance to to also lead product marketing and voice of the customer, those types of things. So I started, started seeing beyond just the products that I designed. And then my next assignment was over operations. So at that point, not only do I have to design a product that use the corny terms, meet and exceed mm-hmm. customer expectations, mm-hmm. uh, I had product marketing, I had engineering, I had operations. So I had the make them also. So for at least 20, 25 years of my career before I got into kind of a fast path of executive management and leadership was product excellence. Now, what I will talk about probably way too long is why product excellence is so important in sustainability, long-term sustainability of a product company. You know, It's almost like if you're in the restaurant business, you need to have good food. Great service helps, but eventually if the food's not good, people are gonna stop eating it. The same thing with products. Great, great products, great products, great products. But I then transitioned, you know, over time into a business president a global president, COO, CEO, those roles, and then leadership changes. It's not now. It's not product is always important, but now it's people and it's organization and it's satisfying shareholders and and owners. So when I think about when I think about what really is key things of success for managing a large organization, one of the most important aspects of that is vision. And when you, say, when you say vision, everyone says it in leadership. Everyone says, well, you have to have a vision. But vision really is understanding what you don't know. And if you don't start thinking about understanding what you don't know, vision needs to be able to start visualizing what may happen, but then what will very likely happen. Now, my experience or our thought process with Vision changed dramatically because Reeve, 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 is a company that was founded in the 20s by two brothers. It's a long-standing, old American company, mm-hmm. but we were acquired by a Japanese family in 1988 and a fourth-generation Japanese family now, a company that's 117 years old, and so when I take, when I mix the values of a of a good traditional U.S. company and then that of of a, of a Japanese family, and think about the principles as you have studied and th- studied the principles in Japan, and productivity and quality and thoughtfulness and respect and dignity, and and I merged those two. As I was fortunate enough that I was named their CEO of this company almost fourteen years ago. So. I merged those, those thought processes of the Japanese company. And so vision for me, from being trained really more in the Western way of, of business, I merged the thought process of, of the Japanese way of thinking, combined it. So it's we're Japanese-American way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So we think generationally. So when I think about vision, I'm owned by a fourth-generation family. What's so critical is what's the next generation. So that so a generation is 30 to 35 years. So short term for us became one, two, three years, not a quarter. We're not public, we're private. And long term became 30, 35 years. So when you step back to say a vision, now you gotta now always need to think in a completely different way. I wanna give I wanna give you a couple of examples where understanding what you don't know. If this is thirty years ago and we're talking about Kodak. Now, here's what we know, here's the fact what we know today. In 2018, there were more pictures taken in the world than from from 1990 to 2000. So in 100 years, in 2018, there were more pictures taken ever. So if you were Kodak 30 years ago, and you were not thinking about this, what's your vision long-term, they're not participating in the, in the in a in a time where there's more pictures taken than ever in the history of the world. Another example, we'll get off this quickly, but another one is exactly the same. Think about this blockbuster video. We stood in line and we rented movies and we rented movies for our children and we
1: got carried a VCR home with design exactly. before you could afford one. And just
2: think about this how many times you got there the second day and, and all forty of that selection was rented, so you didn't get to see it. That's right. Well now you have Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and whatever all the other that the kids watch but there's more movies watched today than ever exponentially more but blockbuster video is not participating in any of those so when I when I talk about that that vision I think it's you you have to think it's not about the day and it's and it's not tomorrow it's a long long view on what that vision is for your company, and in the case of REAM, for us it's sustainability so that that fifth generation will have the same opportunities that the fourth generation had. Now, all companies really should think that way, but if you're you're a public company, sometimes you may have that vision that you can have so many short-term challenges. You really can't get out of your way and think about things. You know, how do you think about something thirty years from now? Gosh, this is this very interesting, Jr. A vision, this
1: exploration to things that we don't know. So we're we're heading down this path that we know we need to go somewhere, but we're not sure where we need need to go. Right behind that comes your second principle that you follow is is planning. Now, how do you plan for something for a target that is is moving on you? That's
2: right. That's right. And it is moving. Here's what you want to do on that. You cannot accurately define the exactness of 20 to 30 years down the road. But if you ignore it, what you need is you need to, you need to be able to define the direction and the guidance of where that is taking you. And it's okay that you don't you don't know that in the case of the, it is going to be Netflix. You don't you don't know that, and that's where you need smart people and you need smart people talking to each other. This is not the vision of the CEO. The, the CEO may say, gets credit way too often. What the CEO should get credit about, more often about is bringing, bringing the smartest people that you can, you can bring together, and not only just in your company. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about looking, listening, seeing, watching, talking, and you'll get this, you'll get this directionally right. That's what's so important. Get it directionally right. And once it's directionally right, then you can step back and say, now what do we need to do now? And, and then what do we need to do short term next one to three years? Once you get to that part of the process, then it's a plan. Now, as an engineer, what I'm gonna say next that we can all smile, <laughs> because we're coming, we're coming from the same place here, is in business, Everything is a project, and it has to be a project. And in the past, engineering activities were projects, manufacturing activities are projects, but actually everything's a project. An HR initiative, a benefits package rollout, communication plans. There is nothing in business that is not a project. And when I say it's a project, it has a defined start and it has a defined end, and it has defined steps and accountability. And so in the plan, It needs to be detailed, people need to understand, all disciplines need to understand what work is required for us to achieve this next step, these next level steps. And at the end of the day, everything needs to be managed by a project, as a project. And another thing that I've always tried to stress is, especially in big organizations, we have 15,000 people, we have 30 factories, you know, it's a big aircraft carrier is what it is and what we know about this is that a big aircraft carrier it's hard to turn it's hard to change the direction but if you've got a vision that people have an idea and they directionally know where you're going the short-term plan is clear We see all the projects we got the work in front of us we all have our assignments we know the we know the plan we know the projects and now the simple thing is you want everybody pushing, the right way. And if everyone keeps pushing on the right side of the aircraft carrier, eventually you turn it. And here's what I've always t- told management. If you get everyone in the organization knowing that we're supposed to be pushing the right side because we're trying to turn this aircraft left and if all 15,000 are pushing, when we we can turn it. And when you get it turned, here's the other most important thing. It's hard to stop when you get that aircraft carrier turned in the right direction, pour the gas to it because it's now going in the right way. Accelerate, full speed ahead. When times are tough, this very wise engineer told me, when times are difficult and times are tough, slow down, step back, listen, think. Don't react when something bad happens. When times are good, things are going well, give it the gas full speed ahead this is this is very interesting that that whole image of an
1: aircraft and the people I, I I like that, and then the pour on the gas, but now jr tell us about the people aspect I mean I mean how do you get that all lined up with like Jim Collins getting the right people on the right on the bus tell us about that I mean I like that picture I mean, I think about our college, Andrew Absolutely. if we could get pointed and air we start going a certain way, and we are in certain aspects. Mm-hmm and then that
2: pitcher putting the gas on it. But how do you get the people there? Well, how are we going to turn that aircraft carrier? In the case of Ring, we have 15,000 people. And so, obviously, the best people you can get. It's always, at the end of the day, it's all about the people. It always is, it's about the people. I don't care about the vision and the plan if you don't have the, if you don't have the people. And when you talk about the plan, is a, if the plan is hundreds of projects and lots of work, at the end of the day, the quality of the work is the quality of the, of, of the people. And so the mo- most important part of the whole formula at the end of the day is people. Now in business, you inherit a lot of people. You do here. It's a very interesting thing for me that I started recognizing I have a sports background. I love sports. I loved it at the University of Arkansas when I, I was here in the in the in the glory days of Lou Holtz and Eddie Sutton. And the thing that that sports organizations, professional sports especially, because it, it's ruthless business is not in this sense. This is where HR comes in. And in business, we do this over a longer period of time. But if you just study a sports team, and you know, they a sports organization, when you see a coach change. Usually it's a wholesale change. The whole coaching staff, you don't see that in business. You do it, you have the evolution is over is over time. And so a sports organization, I don't care. Bad organizations never do well, but good organizations with good people, good leadership in the organization are still at the end of the day, and you hear great coaches say this all the time. We're still only as good as the players that we can get and we can attract. And you need to think the same way as the University of Arkansas. You're you're your success in engineering in the future, your future leaders, is all about you attracting the best talent here. What's the exact same in business? So at the end of the day, it is getting the best people that you can attract. And now when you get the best people, you only keep the best people if you have a good organization. And, you know, they get they get the opportunities to grow and to flourish and to participate and to be rewarded be recognized enjoy what they do but for leaders and when you and you have the opportunity to sit down with managers and management and leaders that have been successful they're all going to tell you the exact same thing at the end of the day if they were successful if you, i don't care how good their plan was if they didn't build an organization around them of the of the talent that they could let them go and get, and and for me for me get out of their way get out of their way provide them support encouragement and you know you got to be a father at times and reach in and provide some direction but you know Henry Ford said it best Henry Ford said many many years ago that that his his objective his personal objective was to be the dumbest guy in the room on his <laughs> management team and there's nothing wrong with that absolutely and the fact that any, any leader that is afraid of any manager, any executive, any, any leader that is afraid of, of bringing people into their organization, smarter and more talented than them might be replaced.
0: And that's exactly what Dr. John White said in our first interview. Do you remember the quote that he used? It was something along the lines of when he builds a team, he hopes she's the weakest link of that team. Yeah. It, was, it was something
1: like that. But. He would pick the best team any day
2: over being the smartest person in the room. Yes. You know, it's and, interesting for me because I I became an engineer, started working in the industry, you know, in 1983, and and back then, the whole process of teams and collaboration, you know, wasn't all the consulting firms hadn't made their millions yet on teaching us how to talk to each other. And, and in the old days it was actually a serial approach that you got you got customer input and the engineers designed to a written specification and then handed threw it over the wall we didn't hand it we gave it to a manufacturing team they figured out how to build it and if there was ever a problem there was another group of engineers that, that fixed it and if you were in design and i was you know you could be two to three designs later and you hear about a problem with something that you designed you know in the past you didn't that was someone else's problem you're already working on the next product well today's world oh my gosh you you know the manufacturing guys the everyone the quality manufacturing engineering hr making sure the team's getting along with each other and you have the right mix of people is involved early on and you know cultural training and personality trainings on how to work together and how to talk and communicate and the very first thing the team does when you get the team together in today's environment is then you bring the, con- the customer and the consumer in and you, everyone listens, not the marketing team, everyone. And so what you see when you see this is as an engineer, actually, when you watch the way products and services are developed today, you get to see the light go on for, for many people. And in the old, in the old process, The front end marketing team got all that excitement, but by the time it got into menu developed, it was, all of that was lost. It was completely lost. Marketing, and the marketing group always had it. They never lost it because they sat in front of these customers, but no one else did. And so, wow, you know, it's so simple. Once that the the world, the product development, uh, and that's why the term really changed. You know, it was in in our early days, it was engineering and R&D. Well, now it's not, it's product. it's product. It's product life cycle. You'll hear that term, product life cycle, and who owns the product? Everyone does. And the success of the company, now the engineers, and I'm biased here, at the end of the day, they have to make, there's a lot of analytical and decisions that are made that majority of the engineers, but I think in some of these teams today, I'd have a lot of engineers, just because they have an engineering degree, they could tell you that, you know what, the three the three best ideas on on this product that we just released in the marketing market, that didn't come from us. It came from it came from maybe one of the team members that you would least expect would have said, Hey, well have you ever thought about this? And maybe that did you ever think about this? Was because they weren't too bound up in their tech in their technical mind. But once the engineer or the technical person heard that, they were like, wow, that's even better than what I thought. Really cool in business when you see that type of, of collaboration. And the workforce, the way people work today is so different than it was 40 years ago. And it's so exciting to see, you know, where it's going. You know, it's interesting. As a father, we probably all look at our children and we think, oh my gosh, they're all so wrapped up in these phones and these devices And I'm gonna tell you that that generation they have the ability to process information in a way because of that now we have to unbundle them sometimes from just get their life out of that out of that phone but yet number one they already socially they know how to work together they do things in groups you know they're ready they're ready for industry so you know i as i think the next 30 to 40 years and and again i'm thinking generationally for my owner i believe that the future is, is opportunity is much greater to do things so much faster and better than we were bound by ideas and principles that were just archaic. Oh,
1: specifications,
2: I spec, right. mean, And your job is to do this, that's and that's it. That's what you did. And that's not your job, my job is to do, and you hand, you give that to me when you finish. Well, we don't do it that way anymore. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But the why products are so much better. I really like how you put people
0: almost on top of the vision and the plan because I agree with that 100%. We're only as good as the people around us and the people we assemble. Something I personally struggle with though is that, including myself, we all have areas that we can improve on and I think that kind of counts toward accountability, which is your fourth value. and it's my opinion that we should try and build up the people who are working with us, not try and tear them down, you know, build up their strengths and and bring up their weaknesses. So how do you balance that, making sure that people recognize that there's a certain level that needs to be done, a certain level of design or a certain level of performance on a project? How do you make that accountability kind of match what needs to happen
2: while kind of building them up? This is probably one of the most complicated areas of, for good leaders. Because number one, you have to have accountability. When you think, if, if I just go back to the plan, and okay, now we, we've got the right people on board, we got good people, and we got the right people, and we're getting better every single day. We have an idea where we're going, we got a, and, we ha- and we know the plan, and we know the work. And so now, the short-term work is defined. So now there's lots and lots of projects. It's really neat to see in a big organization that, oh my gosh, I've got hundreds of projects going on. And so if you think about this, they actually all link. So if you want the results, if you want to achieve these results, now all these projects that end up being defined, that is that is spelled out in this plan, they need to be done. And so accountability at the end of the day, and this is this is where sort of that... I, that parent parenting comes in, that this is, and sometimes this is, this is the tough aspect of, of leadership and management. And the fact accountability is you have the responsibility to get the work done. Now, there's different levels of, of accountability based on where someone is in their career and what their position is. But for me, one of the simple things on accountability and and it probably came from my years and I've spent a lot of time as a design engineer, is if, you, if you're designing a product or a, pro, a project has many steps, and actually every step has a date, and if you miss one date, maybe you can pull up another date, but the final date can't be missed. And so what ends up being so critical and so important is that dates, 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 dates. And I'll tell you something that in in leadership that I I learned this, it took took a lot of time, but one of the things I stopped doing as a top-level manager at one time in my career was telling people and teams the date. Hmm. When I used to do that, this was usually from a business standpoint, it's based on need. You have an issue, you have a need, you have a problem. And so, leaders were very quick to say, we need this by first quarter next year. You put the people in place to get the work done and you tell them the need, you explain them the need. And then you go away and tell them, you give them one assignment, come back and give us the date of when it can be done. But the most important thing is to tell them the need and why it's so important. And here's what I found over time. They gave me earlier dates. But back when I used to demand the dates, they never made it. They never hit the date. And the reason is just like a father to a child. When you tell the child, do this, there's that pullback or resistance. And teams are, people are exactly the same way. And so when managers force, it's interesting. It's just, you shift it. And instead you ask, what's your barriers here? What? Could, how can we help you and what do you need? But then at the end of the day, what's the date? Now, I'm going to tell you that. I've got a good or bad reputation within my company on this one. This was always my secret. And whenever someone would say a date, everyone would be, oh, no. Because I wrote it down. <laughs> I circled it, put a box on it, stick it on the wall, carried it around with me, start your, put it start in your, your, your it's face. Done. It's done. I mean, I didn't say that date. You did. And it became somewhat of a joke. It really did in a way, but then it didn't. But at the end of the day... The accountability is that date. Now, I have to be honest, there is many, many times in the years there where something was brought to me and people were like, oh my gosh, I don't want to tell him we're going to miss this date. and But they would, and I would say, why? And then I hear this reason and I'd say, oh, that's, you got, it has to be delayed. But you want that to be the exception. But the dates end up being accountability. It's, it's accountability, It's just accountability to get the work done because you know remember this it, this is still it's still work. It's still work. And my father, you know, my father worked in, in factories and I remember this as a child, but didn't think about it as a kid. Of course you wouldn't. But later on and it became really a, a core cornerstone of something a principle for me because he got paid on Friday. And he was always on Friday it was payday, and he always had a smile on his face. And weekend was weekend. We were farmers, so we worked on the farm. He worked in a factory during. We worked again, but I guess it was it was more enjoyable work. <laughs> and but Monday, Monday he went back to work on Monday. And my father always said, "This is, you know, you get a day, you get a day's pay for a day's work, and at the end of the week, you've got your company's paid up." And he, he, even though he was a factory worker, my father believed that that company owed him nothing once they paid him on Friday. And the only way he could get more money out of them was to deliver work the next, the next week. And I love that. I love that principle. Uh, it's, still, it's still core that I, even at the level that I am now, I still feel like when I get paid, I got paid for services rendered. And I still owe for my next paycheck, right. and there's no feeling of entitlement that I'm owed for something that I didn't I didn't do. Right. Yeah. yeah, this reminds me. And just right in my cubby hole, I, I keep
1: and I don't have a quote exactly, but General MacArthur, you know, he always abided by this concept of uh, don't don't tell your troops how to do something, you tell them what to do. And this is exactly, exactly. what you're s I mean it's, it's the same on date. It's exactly. exactly the same thing. And and you know, Gerard, I think as you've talked about, you know, your vision um, and 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 your plan don't mean anything without the people. And I assume inside that, nested inside that people, is this accountability, feeling responsible, to to, to to tell you the date, right? And so what you're kind of describing is what your fifth core value is, is this culture. And, you know, I wonder sometimes, and maybe you could give some insights on this, it seems like highly successful companies operate with a culture that's fitting to them, and maybe it aligns a lot like this. So it seems like that's the the inertia of an organization, is that culture. And, and I guess I'd be interested in, how do you turn that, I mean, Maybe we're back to the airplane analogy. I don't know. It is, I I'm thinking of this airplane now, dude. That thing's
2: gonna be hard to push. But Well, here here's the here's the most important thing to say about number five on the list, because number five is not number five. And you you have to if you have to write down five things you, you I guess I should have written them in a line, because actually culture's number one.
0: <laughs> they're all they're all number one. But <laughs> but but
2: I'm My engineering mind, I, as you go through the the, the logical thought process, uh, you've got a vision, you've got a plan, you've got the people, you've got the work to be done. And then what is most important now for successful companies is the culture of the organization. And without that culture or without a, what I I mean, I'm going to, for me, to keep this simple, without a, a, a good, necessary culture, then sustainability is not possible. You may be good for a short period of time, but if you get those good people, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, number one, good people are smart. They're not coming to a company with bad culture. They'll do their due diligence. They figure it out. They'll know. And so re- your, your, your bad reputation will precede you. So the culture, if, if, if the culture is not right, then you have no chance. you certainly you may have had chance in a little small business but you have no chance as a world global leader today with a bad culture do things right you know you do things with with dignity respect the core count cornerstones have to be ethics and integrity number one i'd say it over and over and over again And, and before i go to any other aspect of the culture when i say ethics and integrity. One of the things that and now i'm a, I'm in a private company, but it wouldn't matter to me if I'm public either. But here is one thing that never can never happen. There's never a story, there's never a spin. Now, there are some things left better left unsaid because there's just no reason to be said yet because we don't understand them well enough to, to comment on them. But there's never a story, there's never a spin. It always it, it is black and white. it is what it is. And the easiest thing in your life you'll remember is always the easiest thing to to remember is the truth. Absolutely. And if you and people figure that out so quickly, and a cult a culture that does not operate with ethically and and with integrity will collapse. Now you may you may you can watch the TV shows and you can see the the stories on Dateline or whatever of this. Rich, someone that did something and Ponzi schemes are examples, but you know, it has a, you can have the appearance of something for, I say, a really short period of time, but longevity and sustainability is number one, ethics, integrity has to be there because it will, it will find you out without ethics and integrity, it will find you out. Now there's a lot more aspects of culture beyond that, but, but those are just, those are paramount. If those two are not there, then you know you're you're done, you, you got a half life. You're on your way out at some point. Now, beyond that, now is is you know dignity and respect, and, and empathy empathy when needed. Some some level of kindness you know is always good. And whenever you miss their date, your date, <laughs> that, you know some some empathy. You know, and, and you it, it, you have to have. You yeah, have to have but then also a culture where people know that you know what hey my ideas will be heard i can speak up i can i can have an opinion here my my thoughts will be listened to there's opportunities for advancement diversity diversity is is not only not only seen it's recognized and appreciated and there's and there's work going on to provide that that diversity in the organization and and you know people look for that Today, and the last, the last thing that I, I think that is, if you can figure this out, it is so important, and that is some some level of you know fun enjoyment. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, you need to enjoy enjoy uh, what you do. When I went when I went back to Reem, uh, I went back in, in, in the early two thousands. I had a VP of HR. That that was several years older than me. He would worked in great companies, TRW, some really good companies in the U.S. And uh, we started talking about just just the culture of that company, uh, just the one division at that time. I was I was president of a division of the company, and we were. I remember we were we were sitting around lunch one day, and I looked at Gary and. I said, you know, simple things are always the best to begin with. I said, I just had a thought, Gary. I said, you know, we want, what do we want to accomplish here with, with, we have so many people, you know, we have, and we have people that do, we have, you know, we have executives, we have managers, we have admin, we have many, many factory workers. We have, we have so many different types of people. I said, so I'm going to, here's an idea. I want to I I play this off of you and, and see what you think. And he said, okay, shoot, what is it? I said, here's what I would like for the people of ream to say, we have to know that in our factory, we, and this is okay, Gary, this is okay. We know that there are a lot of people that would say, you know, I wish I could win the lottery today. And, and we need to accept that, that's okay. That's okay that, that someone would say, You know, if I won the lottery, I would never come back here again. And I said, and that's okay. So here's what I would like that people would say about Reed is, I wish that I didn't have to work and I could win the lottery, but I'm probably not going to win it. Therefore, I need to work, and I'm sure glad that I work at Reed. Gary looked at me that day, and he went, oh, my gosh, I love that. I said, how simple is that? I said, that is, I don't know that we can accomplish that. I said, well, the answer is we can't have 100% of 15,000 to where we are today. But just if, you know, if companies and people would just simply think that way, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I work here, wherever they are, wherever you may be. I'm glad I'm going, I'm, I'm sure I had to make a choice to go to college. I'm sure glad I'm at the University of Arkansas. No matter what setting you're talking, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here. You know, that's not, maybe I, I, because I'm this country boy from Arkansas, those simple, a simple thing is easy to explain and easy to remember. But for but for me with our people, and when I see them at all levels of the company, uh, I actually look in their, I look in their eyes for that. And, and I don't always see it. I wish I saw it 100% of the time. But I feel like I see it way more today than maybe 20 or 30 years ago. And if, and if you do, uh, you know you're on your way. Yeah. This is awesome.
0: I, I kind of wanted to ask one last section of question here. You have an extremely diverse background. It's all in mechanical engineering, but you went from multiple companies. And I assume at some point you, you faced a situation where you had to make a hard decision. And I wonder if you could perhaps share an example of now you were happy with the decision you made based on your values, but at the time, it was very difficult to do.
2: <laughs> and, oh my gosh, that's, that's a great question. And the reason that's a great question is the, is the, the hardest professional decision that I had to make ended up being the best decision of my life. Yeah. And, you know, I became the CEO of Reem and and had a 12 year run and now chairman of the board. But actually I was working for a global refrigeration business. I was president of worldwide refrigeration for Linux Industries. And I was in my mid forties and had been with the company almost 15 years. And it was a global business and I'd made a lot of acquisitions My career at that time, I I was the happiest point of my career, and I got a call from a recruiter. And it's interesting, you get a lot of those at certain points of your career, and then they start slowing down. (laughs) And interesting for me, I never liked them. I never, I I was kind of blunt, you know, and I I, I was always happy for the most part where I was, but for some reason, and I had no reason to explain why, that day i asked before i who it was and the recruiter said well i can't tell you he said but it's in your industry and i remember i just said well i'm gonna i'm gonna just go ahead and tell you something there's only seven companies in this industry and i've worked for three and there's two that there's no way i would go to work for and there's and i don't really know that there's any that could get me away from where i I couldn't be happier But if you can't tell me who it is, then, you know, no, I'm not going down this process to find out later because, and the recruiter got really quiet. He said, well, I can't tell you. And I said, well, that's okay. He said, but you've come highly recommended. We want to talk to you. I said, well, then this isn't complicated. You have to tell me who it is. And he said, all right, well, you can't tell (laughs) anyone. That's a rule breaker. You can't. He said, it's Reem." And I remember I laughed. I laughed. I did. I laughed. I said, "Oh my gosh!" He said, "I said, re-air conditioning," and he said, "Yes." And I went, oh. "That was my first job out of college, my hometown." And I remember thinking, you know, the the war, we're in a we're in a tough global economic situation, and that's not a global pos- position, but it's a turnaround. It's not; they were behind where we were, and it was my home. It was Arkansas and my family, and my son was five, and been traveling all over the world, and his grandparents, and it was it was somewhat a lateral move, not completely. It was so hard to make, but honestly, I mean, I got pulled because of home, and, and an opportunity for my my son at five to to. to be involved with his grandparents. And and so it actually, and the fact that hometown now, when I say some of the best things of what would come with that also became when I, as I sat down and, and really thought through this, because at that time, there was a lot of factory consolidation going on, global global competition, and I had been a part of that too. So, you know, you start looking at this thinking oh my gosh, I could be hometown boy coming back, shutting down hometown factory too, you know, at some point, you know. And that is, and if it had to be done, it had to be done. And and so I'm like, can I put myself into that situation? And long story, I mean, here I am. I said yes. And look at that plant today. And that factory today, and it went through, and the yes. people, if they, they were listening to this podcast. They would say, oh my gosh, we didn't know if we were going to make it. And at the end of the day, good people worked extremely hard and major investments. We think it we think when we're finished in Fort Smith in the next couple of years, that if there is a more advanced a uh, factory making air conditioning in the world, I wanna see it. We will see it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it it is a nice end of that story, but I almost said no because of that. It was a tough decision. Sure could have gone the other way. JR, this has been incredible. Thank you so enjoyed. much. It's been All a right. lot
1: of fun, and, and I can tell you, for one, I won't forget the airplane picture. <laughs> and, and Unfortunately, I may be thinking now of our college, Andrew, of an airplane, and, uh, and I think that is a great image, and then propped it up with integrity and ethics. That's the culture. That's us. Awesome. Yeah, man. That's good. Huh? Thank you. Well, thank you. Gene. Thank you very much. Yeah.
2: Thank, you.
0: thank you for joining Leadership Web today. We hope that you found insight and guidance on leadership tools from this interview. Please join Leadership Web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey. Also, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn
1: by searching Leadership Web.